0: In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome everyone to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and here to save the universe with me, again, is my trusty co-host, Patrick Hicks. I am Patch. Oh, oh, oh no! <laughs> oh no! Well, I can already see where this is going to go. We're definitely excited to talk about this film, or at least I was until that. But personally, Patrick, credit there. But you know, I'm just glad that I didn't have to wait two years to get the movie that I have been predicting, which is Fast and Furious in space.
1: Was that not Star Trek Beyond? Is that... That was what was. Good was that point. Not?
0: Good point. I think there might have been a little bit more family, though, here. Just uh, maybe. That's
1: true. That's true. Just a little hint of what we might be talking about um, on this week's episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it, too. I'm excited to get into uh, just the phenomenon that is this massive sequel that I think... Almost every one of our participants in the Summer Movie Challenge picked to be the number one movie of the summer. I mean, a sequel that's going to apparently decimate the box office. I just It's crazy. Uh, so maybe we'll break that down a little bit, maybe not. But regardless, I'm hoping for a really good conversation. But before we get into that, as always, we'd like to know uh, what we've been up to this week. So Aaron, why don't you go first? What have you been uh, doing this week?
0: Well, Patrick, I have not done as much movie watching as I typically do. Just general busyness and kind of a an overall variance of my free the way I'm spending my free time. Honestly, I've, I've watched a lot of basketball. Uh, NBA playoffs are happening right now, and so I've found myself coming home, sitting on the couch, turning on a game, just intending to you know let it linger there for a few minutes, and then the next thing I know. Two and a half hours later, I've watched the entire thing, and I'm just going ahead and watching the second game that night. <laughs> so that's happened a couple of times when I, I had other plans. I just, just kind of vegged out and watched sports. But I, I did you know get a chance to watch a little bit of, of content. And one thing came out of our Facebook group. Um, I got to say, one thing I really enjoy from the Facebook group is when people post what they're watching. And they'll usually give some sort of commentary as to why they're watching what they are. And I know that uh, you might actually be talking about this later as well. But mine, the movie that I watched came out of that. We were, or we had posted our Wednesday poll that we do every single week that is somehow related to the main episode. And it was uh, our poll that was related to The Circle. And we had asked our listeners to tell us what they thought were the worst book to movie adaptations and I personally had voted for and added the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on this list and immediately I was met with a a large amount of pushback and resistance from the group and from you as well so rightly so (laughs) (laughs) Um, to the point where listeners the last time that we recorded an episode Patrick was actually wearing a don't panic t-shirt just to, uh, troll me for my opinions on this movie, but, um, so well, I troll so well (laughs) (laughs) you do, but we had, you know, there was a great Facebook group conversation, um, in this thread about the movie. And I, you know, I realized, all right, well, I haven't seen it since it came out in, I guess it was like 2005. I love the books. I'm I'm a huge fan of the books. I look over here to my right in my bookshelf and the whole collection is sitting right there. But I also haven't read that since I was in high school. So I thought, well, okay, let me let me give this a fair shake. I actually rented this one. <laughs> um, oftentimes I am able to find things free because I have so many streaming services that I subscribe to. But this one I didn't. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to pay the money to see this again. Patrick, I was let down. Um, I did not enjoy this movie very much at all. There are things about it that I like. Like there, Sam Rockwell. Come
1: I on. Sam Bible Brock. He's
0: decent. He's good as he's good as don't ever, don't you say he's, he's, decent. he's amazing. I, you know, I you know what? Here's the thing. It's not that he's not a good actor in the role. It's simply that I just don't think I enjoy this type of shtick. And so while there are pieces of it that connected with me, the, the overall I just I was bored to tears and just kind of like, Bleh, this is really wasting my time. I really enjoy the final sequences. Um, once we get to see kind of how the earth or earth too, um, how the planets are being built and things of that nature. Once Bill Nye's character uh, comes into play. So there are portions of it. I like, and I, I, you know, that's why it's not like a total loss for me, but it certainly is not anywhere near the experience that I remember having with the books and what I wonder honestly though is now I wonder what I would feel toward the books looking at it with fresh adult eyes I wonder if I would enjoy them as well now as I did as a kid but yeah so it, it, sometimes it's a hit sometimes the group leads you to a, a gem or leads you to re-watch something that you just really connect with and sometimes You're You're, wrong. Sometimes Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you're wrong, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: okay. You win. (laughs) Move on, move on, move on before we, uh, Uh. in the show early.
0: (laughs) Uh, well, it did have the word galaxy in it, so it's a good tie in, right? Um, uh, the other thing that I have been trying to catch up on is, uh, the, one of the anime series that I'm currently watching is called psychopaths. And This one was highly recommended also by one of our listeners. Her name is Megan. And uh, she had told me that this is her favorite series of all time as far as favorite anime series. And so I have a couple of friends that we go through series together so we can talk about them. We kind of gotten off our path on this one because people have just gone their own separate ways and gotten into other things. And and we haven't been able to state it on track together, much like you and I in Battlestar recently. But This series is incredible. And I was able to catch up with five or six episodes this week um, and progress. It is such a cool story. So just the real quick gist of it is it's a futuristic Japan. And basically there is the, the government has created this thing called the Sybil system. And what the Sybil system does is it measures or scans your brain and your body, your, your mental function, and it gives you a color rating and this rating or this percentages basically aligned to your potential to c- cause or to, um, do criminal deeds. And if your psychopaths is what it's called ever gets to this level, then your you considered a criminal you can be arrested now you could have not done anything but the fact that you are a potential criminal is now what they're looking for so you're trying to weed out crime before it happens and it's just got some really i mean you can imagine just from that brief synopsis what kind of ethical dilemmas and moral quandaries that this show could get into and there are plenty um the way that it works as it follows a detective who is paired with someone called an enforcer. Well, the enforcers are people who work previous criminals or people who have screened as criminals. And they work with the detectives because the detectives can't go all in trying to catch the criminals or their psychopaths will become cloudy as well because they will start to exhibit some of the behaviors uh, that they may see in the criminals by being too gung-ho about catching them. It's just just very fascinating. One of the really cool things is they have this gun. It's called a Dominator, Patrick. And you would like this part. Um, this gun, <laughs> first of all, it's, you you grab it, and it's voice-activated, right? And it's it's like, hey, you know, it, it talks to you. And it so says, can okay. Say
1: that, can you say, like, make me a sandwich? And it does that, like, that kind of thing? You know what? It might, actually, to be okay. honest.
0: It, it's like, oh, Aaron White, you know, you, you are – Oh, ID, blah, 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 blah. Um, You are authorized X level of force. And then what will happen is if I point this gun at you and your psychopath is clear, nothing will happen. The gun literally will not fire. It will do nothing. If your psychopath is cloudy, the gun may automatically set itself to stun and it will fire on you and it will stun you. If you are labeled as a criminal that needs to be put down, the gun will create a lethal burst that will be like this burst of energy that hits you and literally just like dissolves you in thin air. You just disappear. So it's, it's, it's really, really fascinating and cool to watch uh, on screen. And of course, something like that works really well in animation because you can have um, neat extra visuals that you might not be able to get um, without a ton of CGI. Okay. But yeah, I'm loving it. It's dark. Um, But it's just it's got all those kind of sci-fi questions that I like to delve into when I'm when I'm watching something like this. And the last thing that I'm going to end with that I watched was I rewatched La La Land for the first time since the theaters. Um, I finally (laughs) put it in one night. Did you dress
1: up like Ryan Gosling or anything while you watched it?
0: I did not. No, I'm not. I'm not as cool as our listener, Jason, who has. (laughs) been wearing tap shoes to work this week. Um, kudos to him because like I I mentioned this on another episode or last week's episode, how, you know, jealous I was of him, but, uh, he keeps sending me pictures every week and I'm just like, dude, you're making me jealous. Um, (laughs) he's got these awesome tap shoes. Um, but no, I did not. I, I will say a couple things about it. One, same emotional response did not change a bit, did not waiver did not come down. From the moment it came on, I was swept away. Once again, from the moment that I hear the music and the songs, my attention is 100% drawn from whatever I was trying to do multitasking to the screen. I love that. Um, it, it has a power for me that is just almost unrivaled. Um, and I, I truly love it just as much as I always have. The other thing I will mention is that it is simply not the same experience on my TV. And I am so grateful that I saw it as many times as I did in the theater, that I took the time to go see it in IMAX because it's, it's those experiences that I can forever remember. Um, and you know, they're not going to diminish watching it on my TV at home going forward, but I, I just, I wouldn't, I don't, I can see now how some of my friends who haven't watched it until they saw it at home don't quite have the same reaction I think there is a an energy in the theater and an, and, a, and a heightened sense of enjoyment that comes from seeing a movie like this on the big screen that you just can't replicate laying on your couch um and watching it from you know 10 feet away or whatever. So that's kind of the things that I noticed out of this last viewing of La La Land. Still love it. Going to be watching it over and over and over for the rest of my life.
1: Well, that's one thing we know for sure. I mean, that was never a shocker that you would be, that you would not pop <laughs> that in multiple times after owning it. Um, it became the, uh, I guess, the running gag along with um, issues with your job or whatever. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you own it. Um, and subsequently, I'm glad that we own it. I will uh, probably sit down and watch it again at some point, but I am uh, always in the process of catching up on movies that I should be seeing, which is a, uh, unless you have something else, I have a great segue into that.
0: (laughs) No, you know what? You take it away, my friend.
1: Okay. So just like you mentioned with Hitchhiker's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I love our listeners. I love seeing what people are watching. And... This particular post by our friend Jeremy, who was watching The Way Way Back earlier this week, or last week, last week, I get my weeks mixed up, prompted me to finally pop that in and watch it myself. It had been on my watch list. I am a huge fan of Steve Carell, and I'd heard that this is more of one of his, or one of one a more edgy role that he's in. And uh, after... Kind of thinking about it and hearing you say this is so your movie, this is so your movie patch. You gotta, you gotta, gotta see this. Popped it in, and I loved it.
0: I absolutely yeah. loved it. Oh, that's so good to hear.
1: It's it's a com- this coming of age story with a fantastic soundtrack, an amazing cast. Uh, just like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Sam Rockwell's in this, and he's channeling his inner Zaphod here and there. He's just a a fantastic character in this film to play opposite, uh, Duncan, who's the main, uh, prota- I guess, protagonist in this. And I don't know what it was about the film. Maybe it was the fact that I wasn't, I don't know if I was not watching it in, on Blu-ray or whatever, but even after I realized this, I couldn't still couldn't get my head around the fact that this was a current time movie, a current, you know, it take place in, you know, today I just kept thinking this is the seventies or this is the eighties because the music <laughs> felt like the 70s, the clothes they were wearing felt very drab and 70s common man-esque. The only things that gave me hints of that were seeing new cars in the parking lot of this water park that you know kind of takes center stage near the middle part of the movie and people looking at their phones or listening to their you know, MP3 players. But uh, aside from that, somewhat mild to not really distraction – I just really really enjoyed this. I really want to watch it again to pick more uh, to pick it apart and to just, you know, just enjoy it again. I felt like I watched it just because I needed to and enjoyed it, and I feel like I would enjoy it more sitting back watching it again maybe with the feeling film mindset in mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. kind of kind of dissecting it a little bit more. Maybe at some point it makes it to our uh our episode catalog, but until then it's going to Stay on my shelf as one to rewatch regardless. So yeah, I had a good time with it.
0: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I you know I I really did have no doubt. Um, just knowing your tastes and kind of knowing what resonates with you really. Um, one of the great things, like we were talking about with the Facebook group, our Facebook group loves this movie as well. So our listeners adore the way way back. We've we've heard nothing but positive things about it. I mean I I definitely see it being on our episode list as uh, soon as possible. I did actually go ahead and go buy it because I knew you were going to love it. So, um, there you go. Now, now we own it and, uh, (laughs) we can, we can rewatch it as much as we want. I I agree with you about the, um, the, the setting as well. I, you know, I always, when I, I remember back to when I saw it and good, good segue, you know, these segues are, are well doing working well today. So my first viewing of this film was at CIF, at the Seattle Seattle International Film Festivals when it deb- debuted. And I got to see it there several years ago. Um, and of course, that festival is kicking off here in a couple weeks. I'm starting to get screeners and, and, and lay out my uh, coverage that I'm going to be, be doing for the festival this year. Um, and, I uh, man, I hope I find some gems like The Way Way Back. But my, I remember my very first thought when I watched it being did Letter do this? Because it just, it felt like a Link Letter movie. It feels like Boyhood. And, and obviously Boyhood came after it, but like that setting, that feeling, that tone of type story, it, it was so, so much like that. Um, even the neighborhood felt older. Like you said, mm-hmm. if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for the cars themselves in the neighborhood, yeah. um, you'd just, you'd be so surprised to know that. But yeah, yeah.
1: It's great, man, and I think the only thing, the only thing that I think distracted me was, and this is because I'm a huge fan of The Office, love Steve Carell as Michael Scott. Why? Because this was, I think, this was filmed. During, well, maybe it was his early days in The Office, but or I can't remember. But why in the world would they name his female love interest Pam? I mean, really. Come on! So every time he would say Pam, I would hear Michael Scott going Pam, Pam, Pam. You know, if you're <laughs> if you're fans of the show, you know what I'm talking about. And so I, I mean, just call call her something else <laughs> because every time he would say Pam, I would hear Michael Scott saying Pam instead of instead of Trent, the the character he plays in in this film.
0: That's hilarious. So, yeah. yeah, I I, <laughs> I never even I, thought of that, but because yeah. I hadn't seen The Office at that point.
1: Well, I've been rewatching it because Goofy Netflix took Bob's Burgers off their, uh, rotation. So now I'm back to enjoying episodes of uh, one of my favorite sitcoms, which I'm not complaining about, but I kind of am.
0: So there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, good stuff. Um, I guess one last little piece of business before we move into our review, uh, and discussion about guardians of the galaxy volume two. Um, we want to say a huge thank you and welcome to the family. To Steve C., our newest Patreon supporter. Steve and our other supporters at $3 a month or higher just received a list of movies to vote on uh, for our May donor pick episode. And we think it's going to be a great one no matter which film they choose. Patrick, I I had a lot of fun with you making this list, to be honest, because I was like, (laughs) wow, I want to do that one. Ooh, I want to do that one. Ooh, I'll do that one too. And so, literally, like, whichever one wins, I'm pumped about. Uh, listeners, you can always check that out at com slash feel and film to see the various reward levels. Uh, even at $2 a month, you get access to our growing bonus episode library. So, you know, give it a look and consider helping us to keep the show going. All right. So here we go. Guardians of the galaxy two full volume on two. Volume. volume two, volume two, volume two. Yes. Beautiful. You know, it's, it's, that is a tricky thing. There have been multiple times when I've actually referred to it as Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Volume 2, which is not accurate. Um, the search for
1: more redundancy.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, Patrick, initial impressions. Oh, oh spoilers. This is going to be a full spoiler review. If you haven't seen the film, probably best to turn us off and come back after you have. You've been warned. Now, okay. Patrick, now you can give your impressions on the film. What'd you think,
1: man? Well, I got to tell you, um, this was a three and a half star for me. And, uh, I say that only to say that it was, I pull off a half star because in the same way guardians, when it came out, I wasn't much of a fan of the characters. This is what we'd call second tier characters, you know, that a lot of people didn't know about unless you're fans of the specific comic. But at the same time space operas are I enjoy them to an extent but lots of explosions and other things like that just they're not what gravitate me towards the theater you know because I think of things like Transformers and all these things that just are just big I mean it's blockbuster it's it, it's not unexpected but from the moment that the opening title sequence the opening credit sequence happened I was smiling and I don't think I stopped smiling Because I was having just an amazingly good time. And there were things that I didn't really care for about it. Sometimes the humor was a little bit too much. And sometimes I was like, okay, let's get back to what we were doing. (laughs) But I really uh, loved the movie experience that I had. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy, this type of film is why you go to movie theaters. I mean, you go there just to have an amazingly good time. It's popcorn movie experience. You go there to just have fun and that's what that's part of what the movie experience should be sometimes it's there to make you think and make you feel something deep and then other times like lego batman it's there to just make you chuckle from start to finish and so i i really enjoyed this and um you know it it wasn't like amazing but it was not um it it was on par with what i expected and in some places it actually um, exceeded my expectations in surprising ways, which I, I hope we can get into uh, as we as we start talking more about this, how about you?
0: Well, I agree completely with the idea of smiling from jump because when this started off, um, I remember feeling a little bit shocked because I was like, "Wow, this whole thing was in the trailer, right? like this is the monster that they show him fighting in the trailer. I sure wasn't expecting that to be in the credit sequence <laughs> um. And, you know, it has a way of just immediately grabbing you and pulling you into that world. And I I got to watch it on IMAX in 3D. And I got to tell you, Patrick, it was incredible. So for anyone that is going to go see it a second time who's listening, I highly recommend the IMAX screen. Um, I've mentioned before on the show, my personal format is IMAX. My personal favorite format is IMAX 2d. There's not a lot of screens out there that do that, but I, am not a huge fan of 3d and I, I, didn't think that guardians 3d was anything special to be honest, like most movies, but the IMAX screen itself and the sound are special. I mean, this thing was huge and, uh, and it fit this movie perfectly. So, highly recommend that for multiple viewings of this. Now, yeah, like you, I was engrossed in the humor of it. Um, for me, it's closer around a four star. Um, I, I I was higher when I came out of it, and I did, I did come down as I thought more and more about the film. Um, probably a little too long, I think, in the tooth for me. And some of the jokes didn't land. Or maybe it's not that they didn't land for me, I think that they they overly extended the jokes, um, is what I would say. So a joke that maybe could have taken 30 seconds ended up taking four to five minutes <laughs> on, on a scene. And I just, that didn't, uh, didn't feel like it added a lot of value to me, but uh, yeah, my, I think one of the things that I really love about this series, and I will tell you guardians of the galaxy is one of my absolute favorite comic book films. Um, the original, I adore it. I mean, it is a, it is a awesome, awesome masterpiece for me. This one had the benefit of us already knowing the characters. So the fact that we get to go into this without having to learn who people are made that opening credit scene phenomenal. Um, We don't have to spend time learning who Groot is and why baby, or baby Groot, I guess, who baby Groot is and why he's doing what he's doing. We don't need to, learn why Drax is acting a certain way or why Gamora has the the attitude that she has towards you know his ridiculousness we already know them and so it felt so natural to me it felt like oh yeah exactly we're just catching up with these guys in the middle of some adventures after they've been gallivanting across the galaxy and I was swept away right off the bat man
1: yeah I I think that's the strength of the of the of the franchise it's definitely a franchise now since we have a sequel but I think that's the the fact that you can just pick up where you left off I mean we describe solid friendships like that the fact that you can be distant for months and years at a time and then just pick up right where you left off and I think we get that same kind of feeling as an audience walking into the very first scene being just a battle sequence I mean it's like oh yep that's what they're doing they're saving the galaxy because that's what they do they're the guardians of the galaxy very much self-aware, and I thought just creatively introducing each one of these guys in in a way that's very specific to them, but also familiar to us as an audience, and isolating them in some ways. You know, ensemble casts have the challenge of making sure that each person gets the appropriate amount of screen time, gets the love that they uh, they deserve. And that's one thing that I pulled away from the movie as a whole is I felt like everybody, um, and everything, even down to uh to Yondu's <laughs> um flaming arrow, got like an incredible amount of screen time. I thought that you had this just immense um and maybe that's why it felt a little long, because it felt like everybody got some time in the in the limelight, much like the Avengers. And for me that worked. I do agree that there was kind of a little bit of bloatedness throughout with the jokes maybe some of the violence and language is a little bit edgy for a pg-13 movie didn't really i mean it didn't necessarily bother me but it definitely felt bigger like it felt like guardians was guardians volume two was really a bigger version of, of guardians one at least in the first half of the film um so it's like you have this regular and then extra large and the <laughs> guardians volume two was the extra large but for the most part it really worked for me and uh and you know when you when you get drawn in from the very beginning like that you know you're in for a treat the rest of the way
0: oh yeah i mean we laughed the whole movie i'm sure your theater was the same way i mean just absolute lol the entire time through um gut laughing even i mean it was really really funny and i i'm with you i agree that i would rather have it give all of those characters their due and their moment in the sun um, and be a little long than be short and have characters that I don't really know or care why they're there. Um, I felt like everybody got something to do. Everybody had some sort of conflict even to resolve (laughs) um, on some level, and I thought that was handled pretty darn well. Um, You know, we again, we can nitpick that. Because there are certain storylines that were handled faster and wrapped up a little simpler than others. Mantis uh, isn't, isn't incredibly deep, um, but she does something. She has a role. Um, she has a purpose. And I think, you know, with an ensemble, it is a, it's a balancing act. And that's, that's what makes the Avengers the gold standard, really, still the original Avengers with Joss Whedon because he handled that perfectly um and it's so hard it is so hard i mean i, I can't imagine it patrick looking through this cast list and, and the thing is it's not just the guardians of the galaxy right it's you're you're talking about bringing in ego you're talking about mantis you're talking about um gamora's sister whose name is escaping me right now tell me you know her name
1: i can find it just real quick oh. i think it's nebula nebula no good job it that's nebula? it it
0: is nebula it is i remember um yondu the the sovereign you know you know you've got all these different characters that that have something going on and in the end credits speak to this in a, in a huge way right i mean all 12 of them do. Now, you yeah know, all... you know it makes sense <laughs> now now seeing the movie i understand why there were five because everything is bigger everything is overblown Um, and they're going to introduce even more characters in all these, these scenes. So I think the universe James Gunn has created here is super exciting. One thing that I noticed is a decidedly absent presence of Marvel of other Marvel properties that is, I cannot remember this in any other Marvel movie, to be honest with, except for maybe a nod to Howard the duck and of course the Stan Lee cameos. You know, there's very little, if anything, that is alluding to any other Marvel movie in the universe. This has really become a self-contained property, I think.
1: Well, and you're exactly right. And that's, it's it's bold. It's a very bold thing. It was bold for James Gunn and company to bring this property to the big screen and say, we trust our storytelling. We trust the charism- charisma of these characters. We, ch- we trust the writing. We trust the Marvel brand enough to bring second tier characters to the big screen, and lo and behold, these guys almost take center stage just behind the Avengers, in my opinion, because I think that they have those kinds of attitudes and when you have characters that you don't necessarily associate with a comic book unless you're familiar with them as a comic reader, that's a huge thing to do not only to get a best selling film but then to come out with a sequel that's probably going to beat it at the box office that's going to kill uh at the summer of 2017 theater um, environment or whatever. And it's just, it it, it really amazes me not only um, at the power of, of the great storytelling and James Gunn and that, that terrific creative team, but really the, the Marvel brand I was even noticing. I haven't seen, I haven't seen Dr. Strange um, or I can't remember the last Marvel movie I saw in the theater, but um I remember the the opening like logo has changed. It's not the flipping through the comic books anymore. No. It's actually footage mm-hmm. from
0: all the different films.
1: Yeah. And what that tells me is that Marvel's like, look, we've got enough that people are loving. We've got enough that we that we've impressed people with it. We can show that. We don't have to show comic book pages anymore. Although I like that still. Um And that says so much about Marvel studios as a whole and just what kind of chops they have that they're like, look, this is just as good as our major other Marvel properties. And we're going to throw all of our weight into it. And they did.
0: Well, you know, I will tell you, I am not shamed or shy about saying that I have Marvel fatigue. I mention it quite often when these debates come up. Yeah, both. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dr. Strange was the, one of the first movies that was below a four for me in a long time. And the majority of the films, including this one, you know, have fallen in that four star range because they're all really good. They're all entertaining, but they just don't have that oomph to pull them above and beyond. Um, this one reinvigorated me somewhat for Marvel. Um, this one, more so than any Marvel movie I've watched in several years, made me want to immediately go find a comic book and read it, I want to know who the Ravagers are. I want to know those stories. I want to know who all those people in the, in the end credit scenes were. I want to figure out who the heck Adam Warlock is before the next movie, because I know he's coming, and I don't know enough about him. Um, I didn't know who Ego was. I didn't know there was a living planet, for goodness sakes. That was awesome. Um, I really was... I think it's the universe. It's not... I mean the characters are great and I think like you nailed it when you said you know right up there behind the Avengers it's hard to beat the personality traits of the Avengers team and the dynamic that 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 exists related to them being on earth (laughs) I think there's a grounding nature that that makes them more relatable Um, and this one has more of a comedic feel overall overtones they don't they don't all feel as fleshed out yet but we clearly make steps in this film toward toward establishing that i mean that's what we're trying to do here dude i i loved rocket in the first film because he was hilarious i mean everybody loves rocket he's a raccoon that talks and shoots big guns and he's like brash and egotistical and he's just awesome i was not expecting what we got In this movie, I was not expecting a dramatic storyline that dealt with Rocket having ego issues and, 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 you know, daddy problems (laughs) essentially that go all the way back to his creation and the way in which he was treated. Um, I just thought those moments were brilliant and I, and I loved the way that those things evolved over time for each character and each character's storyline, um, how you know it starts right off the bat with he and this the scene with he and Quill fighting over control of the spaceship going through this asteroid field was awesome to me. Well first of all, let me back up for let me let me say as well that visually that was really cool. And and the idea of this asteroid field that is phase where asteroids are phasing in and out of of time and space. And like, you never know where one's going to pop up in front of you. Like, how could you possibly ever get through that? And it really really sells the idea that these two guys are the best of the best elitist pilots. And (laughs) they are just stealing control from each other, like putting everybody's lives in danger. And it just, it was, it, it worked for me. It was like, okay, I get it. Yep. There's a macho battle going on right here. There's pride on the line and neither one of these guys is going to relent and they're going to do something stupid. And it was in that moment that I immediately started thinking about Fast and the Furious and was like, yeah, this is, this really is Fast and Furious in space. Um, we're going to, we're going to really not start nailing down these interpersonal relationships and this theme of family connecting everybody. And man, did it work for me? It, I loved it.
1: And I'm glad you did. And going back to a couple of things you said, Avengers works for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons it's, it's it takes place on Earth. It's literally a grounded film, and that's part of the reason why I don't <laughs> connect with the uh, nice. Yeah, that's part of the reason Good. I don't connect with the Guardians franchise as well because I don't really care for space operas. I mean, you and I talked several weeks ago about after watching the the Jedi uh, trailer, just kind of how it was sort of you know on par. It was mad. What, it, Yeah, it was okay, but I think for both of us, because we're not fanboys, and as much as I love Star Wars and grew up with it, it's sort of kind of lost its, um, it's lost its kind of wow for me. Now, December I may get it thrown back in my face and be like, okay, I'm a new fan, but in the same way, space operas just—they're not—they're not my cup of tea. I enjoy them, but I don't gravitate toward them like I do more cerebral sci-fi or drama or things like that. And so I don't, yes, I took a half star off, so that's, but it's, you know, subjective stars. (laughs) But it's not the fault of the film because the film was just fine. But I think what the film does that I do connect with is that idea of family. And there was a really good discussion today about the fact, you know, was it too muddy? Were there too many stories going on? And you could argue yes, but you can also argue no. Because from my standpoint, you can have an ensemble cast all dealing with their own stuff. And because it all ties together with this idea of being family and defining what family actually is, where it doesn't have to necessarily be connected by blood. Because I think Nebula was adopted. (laughs) You know, she wasn't.
0: (laughs) Well, they clearly were not the same. Yes, (laughs) exactly. But but I
1: think she was she's I think she's known as uh, Thanos is adopted daughter or whatever. But you have you have this this idea of disconnect from what should be a natural connecting uh, connection to family. And the Guardians really, really amplify that in this second film, which I think is very, I mean, again, it's bold because this could have just been another shoot 'em up jokes all the time adventure. and they decided to take out or kind of stray from the world building. And focus more on character development. What I hope is that if this did feel like a little jumble, if it did feel like there were a lot of stories going on, I hope that maybe we get some solo films. Maybe we get a Rocket solo film with him and Groot.
0: Oh, don't tease uh, me. Oh I, man,
1: I don't. I don't. I'm 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 optimistic <laughs> with the way that the Marvel with Marvel Studios has uh, has been successful. I w- it wouldn't surprise me. Um, maybe there's a maybe there's a team up with just you know Gamora and and Quill. I, I don't know. Um, we'll see kind of what the whole big storyline does and how it plays out. But overall, I think Guardians two was successful in telling a more character driven story than just a action adventure in space. Although that was definitely there, um, but I gravitated towards the former. Yeah, and uh, and it, it paid itself off for me very well.
0: Yeah, they blended them so so well together. Um, you know, it's it's kind of fascinating. This one had so we talked about how it was disconnected from the Marvel universe. I mean, there's like no talk about the Infinity Stones in this one, to my knowledge. Like, there's no like that quest and those those things don't come up. Um, it's it's like its own little. Self-contained adventure. It doesn't have. It doesn't seem to progress the plot much toward the Infinity War. Although the end credit scenes kind of do, kind of lean toward. Kind of kind of give you a hint of that. But I think, I think that's, I think that's awesome to to really take that step back and be like, hey, here's a cool self-contained adventure. Um, that you can. You don't have to. You don't. I don't have to watch this connected to the rest of the Marvel universe. I can right. just watch it as a movie and right. be completely into it and enjoy it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, in the, in the five scenes, I, the first two were entertaining, <laughs> and then the third, fourth, and fifth, you kind of get into a. Well, I guess the fifth was not really connected to anything. It, it was fun. I'm going to explain um, that.
0: So go go ahead.
1: Okay, but you know the I guess the third and fourth one were more hints to what's, hap- what's going to happen in the future. And I, 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 I think if there's a such thing as Marvel, Marvel fatigue, I think to a lesser extent for me personally, there's a sense of <laughs> in-credit scenes fatigue. I just, I'm almost just wanting to be surprised and have my, you know, have our Facebook group kind of fill me in on the details. Like, you know, what's, what's happening in this film that's related to the last film I don't know. It just didn't, I I guess because we've seen so many and we expect like nobody, I kid you not, nobody left their seats when the credits started rolling. (laughs) I mean, because everybody expects it. Everybody expects those in credit scenes also that they were announced online. But for me, I just, it's not something that I necessarily look forward to. It's more of like, just include it in the film. (laughs) But you know, it is what it is. It's it's nothing that's going to kill the movie for me. I just, it's not something that I'm like, Oh, can't wait to see what's going to happen next.
0: Well, I started that discussion in our Facebook group about how, you know, is this too much? Um and I was kind of championing the idea that maybe this was over overdone uh or was going to be overdone. And I remember using the phrase exactly, I fully expect that after I see them I will love them and not have this opinion anymore. <laughs> um and you know I fall somewhere in the middle. So like you, the first end credit scene with Yondu's whistle, um, <laughs> whistling arrow, and uh, I right. don't remember his name, but I really enjoyed uh, his little, just kind of Craglin. This su- is Craglin. Krag- yeah, there you go. Side arc as a, as a, you know, a sidekick or a, uh, something. But I loved that scene completely. That was an amazing scene. I did too. Um, I can't remember the second one. What was the second one?
1: I believe the second one was um Stallone's.
0: Okay, deal? so this, I think is that Stallone's? I don't know. There was like so there was one with Stallone and the Ravagers uh right. talking about getting the gang back together. I think you're right. So that was I liked that. Um then mm-hmm. there was like there was like a couple team there was one team up. Yeah, you're right. And then there was another team up scene um that included uh I don't remember the actress's name, but another group of Ravagers. That I had no idea who they were, so that one just went <laughs> right over my head. Was it right. the Stallone one included? Michael Dark, Michael Duncan Clark, right? I
1: think so. Um, but as guess, an,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, um, not... and then then the fourth one would have been the one with the Sovereign. Yes. that was introducing Adam Warlock, mm-hmm. um, and that's like a huge character in the universe and someone who has played a big role and will play a big role in the infinity war is the expectation. And from what I understand, he's golden or he's golden looking. So that it was a really neat way to tie in from what I heard. Um, I was listening to this slash Filmcast cast, uh, podcast about this episode. And that was something that they had mentioned. One of the guys that had a lot of the comics knowledge. So I'm interested to see how that all plays out. I, I really liked the sovereign, um, just a sidebar for a second. I thought they were a just completely interesting race. I, I knew nothing about them. Um, when I first saw them, I thought they were really hokey. Okay. They're golden. <laughs> you know, we got some fun scenes of banter and then rocket steals the, the batteries. That, but man, that, that is- first moment when you realize that they're flying remote controlled spaceships that provided some of the best laughs for me in the entire movie. I mean, <laughs> just especially when they're all around the last guy like there's like yeah. hundreds of them that have been blown up and he's the only one left and they're all cheering him on and standing behind him and he gets he gets disabled by Drax <laughs> and the guys are like, You suck <laughs> And I just was like, That is so realistic. Yeah. Like everybody's in your corner until you mess up. And even though they messed up way before you, and then they're gonna tell you you suck. Yeah, but I, just... um...
1: <laughs> but yeah. I like yeah, I like the uh I like the race. I just I think I couldn't help but keep thinking about one of uh, one of my favorite Bond movies, Goldfinger. Oh yeah, and, and just hearing that theme in my head every time they'd show up on 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 screen, Goldfinger, you know, just because they're they're covered in what I feel like is just gold paint, and uh, I had to get used to them and get that song out of my head. And so, of course, by the end of the film, I was like, "This is good." And then the, the end credit scene happened. I'm like, gold finger, we're going to take over the world, you know, the universe and uh, whatever it was. They're okay. I don't know if that are, they're an interesting race.
0: They are. <laughs> well, the last, the last one, um, again, credit to Jeff Canada at slash film cast, because I knew nothing of this stuff and I don't want to claim that I'm the, the super comic book, no know- way, you know, m- tome of knowledge myself, He explained the Stan Lee scenes, and I'm glad he did, because when I first saw them, the first Stan Lee scene when the ship is, you know, going through the multiple jump points, which, that was hilarious, (laughs) by the way. It really was. It really With the was. eyeballs bulging out of their heads. Oh, I can still see Rocket right now in my mind. and I just That got a see. lot of laughs in my theater, too. Uh, I need a Rocket Raccoon pop figure, Patrick. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm tangenting. No, 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 no. I'm looking up here at my lineup that I have on my entertainment center. I need a Rocket. I, I got to okay, get a
1: Rocket. If you get a Rocket, then you hand your best friend a Baby Groot, okay? If uh, yeah, you didn't get a pop figure, I need to see a Baby Groot. Well, my, my, son,
0: my, my son has a Baby Groot in a in a pot. Uh, maybe I'll steal his. and and (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, anywho, I'm Tangany. Uh, so the ship is transiting through these jump points and we see Stanley and, uh, he's with these, these weird alien races. Um, and then we see him come back at the end and he's explaining some things to them. He's talking to them. So backstory, Stanley is with a race called the watchers the watchers are this omnipotent race who in their history of course which is endless has at times taken a part in kind of policing the universe they've they've interjected into the affairs of the worlds and it's not always gone well in the comics is what he was explaining and so they eventually decided to pull back and just become the watchers and what marvel used them as was a narrative device to where they could use them as narrators so if they wanted to tell some stories that were kind of from an outside perspective it could be like from the watcher's perspective oh the watchers are watching the avengers here's what the avengers have been up to the watchers are telling us and and so they were a method of storytelling that was used um pretty fascinating i I thought it was awesome hearing that and so when that scene and the one at the end, what it ties into is a couple things. Stan Lee was explaining to the watchers about all of the different quote unquote jobs that he has held.
1: Right with the cameos. Which were his
0: cameos. <laughs> so it did a couple things. It tied it 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 proved to the fan theory that Stan Lee is the same person in all of the cameos. It's the same character. And then it also gave us this incredibly neat little sense of irony because it's all about how he's the one who watches them over the Marvel universe. He's, he is the watcher. Like he's the one that's the narrator. He's the one that kind of is there at all times from, from, from the beginning to the end of the Marvel universe. And so I, in hindsight, really loved these cameos and thought they were probably the best ones yet, but it took some explaining for me to get there. Um, and that's probably unfortunate, but you know, I don't know what to say about that. It's sometimes those fanboy moments are really special when you get them. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm just glad that I was able to have it explained to me and, uh, hopefully that will enhance some of you listeners and your opinion of those scenes. If they were kind of like meh to you when you first saw them.
1: Yeah, I had actually been been uh, informed of that before I saw the movie, and I'm familiar with the Watchers. Uh, I grew up, well, I said I grew up in high school and parts of college, and even you know, you and I back in the uh, 2012 when the New Fifty Two started. You know, I got reinvigorated with comics, and so I became very familiar with the Watcher. So it was very cool to see that. That being said, with regards to the end scenes, so there were no that was the missing one that the missing scene that I couldn't think that we couldn't think of. So there was, uh, there was the, the scene with the, with the arrow, there was uh, Stan Lee scene. There was a scene with the ravagers. There was the, um, the, the scene with the, um, (laughs) gold (laughs) fingers. And then there was the final scene with teenage Groot. Which I thought was great.
0: Oh, uh, but, teenage Groot. That's right. With Peter coming right. in and treating him like a dad to a son. Yes. Exactly.
1: I thought that was fantastic. And I almost wish, for my own benefit, that that happened like the third scene. So your last two scenes were really more related to explaining more about the Marvel Universe in mm-hmm. some ways and upcoming films. Because <laughs> that was actually my favorite of all five of those, was just seeing him come in and say, you know, you got your vines everywhere, and I can't believe you're just you – know, yeah, and you just you can sit there playing your video game Dude, all day.
0: The it's tone so of his I am Groot's in those scenes is so <laughs> fantastic. I mean, it's so teenagery, you know, and it's awesome too because now we know. And I I love this approach. I love this approach, mm-hmm. where we have one of the films with big Groot, then we get a second film at the end where it really kind of just at the very end of the film shows us, Hey, now he's baby Groot. And so we get to look forward to that in the second film. And then here they're showing us in the third film, clearly we're going to have teenage Groot. Right. Um, and it's such a different character. It's like a new Groot, a, a different, like, cause he can't possibly have the same character traits. And it, it's, it's, I think it's fascinatingly. You're awesome.
1: exactly right. There are two things that I really am impressed with about these movies. One is the, Voice talent of Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel. Um, Bradley Cooper? Who's Bradley Cooper? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Bradley Cooper as as Rocket Raccoon. Because I never...
0: I never hear him.
1: Never at all. I cannot pick out his voice. Even knowing for a fact that he's playing the voice of Rocket, it's amazing. The same thing with Groot. All he says is, I am Groot. But the way in which Vin Diesel says it... (laughs) gives you so much context like especially during the scene where <laughs> Rocket's telling him to how to detonate the bomb I am Groot keep, I, am, I Groot. am Groot No no
0: no that's not it I am Groot, <laughs> <I'm> Groot. <laughs> I get it now it, Yeah
1: <laughs> And so and, and and that's the that's the second thing is that you're able to do so much with so little and to me baby Groot was one of my favorite characters in this and he didn't quote do much my favorite scene with him was when he was trying to go get um uh who was it yondu's <laughs> fin
0: dude see that, yes i thought it was a little long but yeah the idea of it was hilarious
1: but but finishing it off with um you know with with, with <laughs> sorry you know,
0: i'm with, thinking about it
1: <laughs> yeah i know it's so funny it? with cragland coming in saying it's this one you know and then ending the scene that way i thought that was great but just the facial expressions on him, on him, and just how he emotes without saying anything except "I am Groot." It's so amazing. Uh, so yes, he was by far my standout. Like, I want to, I want to hold him and just cuddle him, and it's just it's so much fun. And then at the end, and you see him as like this nasty teenager who's just like any other teenager, except he's a tree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> except he's a tr- just that. Oh, no big deal. <laughs> just <laughs>
1: instead of clothes everywhere he's got vines and twigs everywhere
0: (laughs) oh man yeah well i you know i think i really enjoyed several storylines and and that was one of them i I enjoyed rockets quite a bit and his learning about him and realizing why he was the way he was there were a lot of so there were we'll talk about this in connecting point when i pick it but for me there weren't like any huge long scenes that were really impactful in the way that a connecting point scene sometimes is, but there were a lot of tiny little moments where I, where I fluttered or where I was like, yes, that's awesome. Like that's a character connection moment. And, and they were small in scope or they were, they were just a line of dialogue here and there. It was not necessarily these big bombastic You know, it's which is interesting because there were quite a few moments of lengthy exposition that was kind of not necessary or didn't really love. One of them, egos walking around, like giving this lengthy tour of his history with this museum that he's created or whatever. I don't, I don't know. There was a lot, a lot of exposition there, but there are some really condensed, well written lines that happen that uh, bring about that emotion in these different character relationships. And uh Rocket has quite a few of those, leading up to the final one between him and Yondu. And Yondu was my standout of this movie for me. Like I had no expectation for that to happen. I had no idea that I would care about Yondu. Um, I, I, I've, oh, I even thought he was kind of like a throwaway character in the first one. I didn't really, I was like, eh, and I didn't really love him necessarily. He was cool because he had this arrow thing, but like, you know, you didn't know anything about him. But my goodness. Did they flesh him out and give him, I mean, I'm literally like almost in tears at the end of the movie uh, because of how much I learned came to grow and care about his character. So I'm with you, man. Lots of amazing stuff going on with the characters. One thing I do want to talk about though is the big plot. Um, And what came out of that Facebook conversation that you referenced earlier was um, someone had said that they did not feel, that the story had a plot or had a narrative because the main problem, which is Quill meeting his dad, Ego, the living planet, and the resolution of what happens when he meets him and then having to fight him, did not happen until maybe a third away into the story. It didn't start. And it wasn't this constant thing throughout the entirety of the film that we had these more like anthology moments of each character and different things going on in the universe, which, as you said, I particularly, I love that. I thought it was fantastic. I thought that that kind of nature of storytelling with so many characters worked out very well. Um, but what did you think about the idea of ego, the living planet, and the dad that just wanted to create a son? Uh, who could share power with him so that he could then be able to create and, you know, I guess essentially spread his seed across the universe is what he was doing in his planetary way. But what did you think about that whole storyline?
1: I loved it, man. And the exposition that you didn't really care for that much, I actually thought was really great. I loved the visuals and the way in which he told the story because it really, I'm going to use this word very loosely, it humanized him. I mean, because again, when we hear this story, we see him telling it, we really believe that he's being very sincere, but the third act in the reveal of what his actual like plan is came as a real surprise to me. I didn't know what to expect, but it wasn't something that was necessarily hinted at in any of the trailers that I saw. I didn't see many, but I was very, I thought that I can agree with the idea that there was a lot going on in the first act and the first, you know, maybe half to two thirds of the movie there were a lot of storylines that were that were going on and then you had this quote big storyline with Quill and uh and his dad that I thought felt equally weighted against those even though it got more screen time the scene where he's playing catch with him I, I think it was meant to make me feel something but it didn't It didn't feel hokey, but it didn't. I know he had mentioned earlier, like that's all I wanted to do was play couch with my dad. I felt like that was kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. That
0: was almost my connecting point. I'm glad I didn't pick that one.
1: (laughs) Well, the exposition scene was almost mine, so I mean, we both. It's amazing what we what we do and don't pick. But overall, I I remember thinking, man, this just got really good. Whenever we get hints that something is not what it seems, and then when we find out what that is it makes, for me, from a storytelling point of view, it really feels very cool. It feels like, ah, yeah, this is what we're getting to. And now I see where the big conflict is. It didn't really take away from those other stories, but I can see why it feels like it maybe competes with them. I didn't see that. I saw it as being complementary to these other storylines because the big picture theme that I think James Gunn was trying to paint for us was family matters and it doesn't have to look like what you think it looks like, and all those things really fit together. Especially, and this is what surprised me the most, was uh, was was Yandu's character. Just like you, I love it when a flat character rounds out in a very very interesting way. And his character, the character of Yandu, was one of the more surprising and pleasantly surprising characters that that I really grew to love.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I you know, I I can see all of that and I agree with most of it. You know, I like I said I didn't love the specific you know, rendition of going through the timeline as much. But it was it was funny. Um especially the one where he's shown like this like sculptures of himself with all the different women <laughs> different of the different races. <laughs> Do you have a penis? Oh yeah. Queen, yeah. I mean, come on, <laughs> So funny. Um the, the choice of Kurt Russell here is perfect. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, when they show him back on Earth, it's like old Kurt Russell, never aged. He looks amazing, and I mean, he's just perfect for this role. I mean, you know, and that's, again, with the Fast and the Furious tie-in, you got Kurt Russell and Vin Diesel. I mean, you know, what's next is, you know, who, who's
1: going to join the team? Who's maybe
0: Bradley Cooper fast? comes to Fast and the Furious. Who knows? Dude. Um, or maybe David Hasselhoff, since they mentioned him and he drives car, <laughs> he could bring Kit into the Fast and Furious exactly. universe. How fun I would that know, be? I don't
1: know, Michael. Can, can we compete with <laughs> Mr. Toretto? <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, I I really enjoyed this con, con, conceptually, and it's it's so hard to do, man. It is so hard to do. I, I mean, when you take that idea and you say, okay, they're going to fight a living planet. I thought the build up to it was fantastic. I think inevitably for me though it's just something that's so hard to express um when it comes to that final fight scene there's some good moments in it there's some cool teamwork aspects that take place rocket and the the really sweet ship lasers by the way little balls that like go Dude, all over. those are freaking awesome
1: great stuff yeah it's freaking awesome
0: um and then the way in which mantis puts him to sleep and you know the plan I mean, you know, they're just gonna blow him up it's not anything special it's not unique or anything Um, but it's just hard to visualize when you're fighting a planet, you know, it, it devolves into some CGI stuff fighting against human people, you know, human characters. And, uh, and I didn't love it. I didn't hate it either. I just didn't love it. It didn't, you know, it wasn't something special to me with them fighting him. But, um, but the lead up to that and the, the understanding of what was happening And the way in which it goes from breaking his heart, um, and having him able to discover and have a dad, like in that scene where they're catching the football, which did work for me, um, to then feeling betrayed, I thought was really just heartbreaking, um, and tragic for, for Quill. The other thing that I felt was almost, um, a sense of pride in Quill that, Man does he flip the switch quick. He he it does break his heart, but he very quickly doesn't linger. He remembers his mom, he knows where his heart was and his priorities were, and he knows his his team matters and he doesn't hesitate to fight back. I mean, it, it it he like thinks about it for a quick second and that's it. Like it's over. You know what I mean? And in in so many films our hero would be put through this torturous time where they they really consider going the other direction or going the the opposite way. Um and I, I like that Peter Quill doesn't do that. You know, he, he really doesn't ever give it too much thought at all. He's well, he's think, all in on his team.
1: Yeah, I think that's really a microcosm of what the attitude of this film and the one that preceded it and the films that will come after it with this, you know, with this title of Guardians of the Galaxy is not only is it a film that doesn't take itself incredibly seriously But it's also one that's very unconventional. You know, there were there were a couple of moments. I believe it was when, um, I think it was uh, Craglin was asking Nebula, you know, what she's going to do with her share of the of the bounty, and she goes into this long dramatic, like, description of finding revenge and going after Thanos, and you got this dramatic music, and it stops, and he goes, "Oh, I I thought you were just going to buy a nice bracelet or or something," but you know whatever you need to do so well you know happy trails those types of scenes and the reaction of Quill seems very much like something how we would react like mm-hmm. we would we wouldn't we don't have dramatic music in our lives that are going to build up these long speeches we're just like i'm going to kill him you know I, and i thought that was very much it was very true to the character true to the attitude of this these types of films that's different from other marvel Properties, and I think that's what makes Guardians such a powerful property. Is that, just like Deadpool, in some ways, to the uh, that that comic book world, it has the ability to be very, in some ways, subtly meta about itself. And when we can laugh along with these characters too, when we can have that insanely just addictive, uh, just addictive laugh that, uh, <laughs> that Batista's character has, uh, Bra- Drax um that says something you know because we're connected to these characters in a way that um we shouldn't be because they're they're in outer space you know how can we connect with them but we connect with them through that humor and through that nonchalantness that they have
0: yeah i i agree and i think i don't know i think uh that it's it's just so unique (laughs) um it's 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 interesting that in all of the marvel universe this seems to be the one time where we have the hero who you mentioned the fact that he doesn't hesitate to kill Well, he, these guys kill like they don't really have the same moral code. They're, they're kind of outlaws. Um, and there's, there's a time and a place for that. But when, when we are on that grounded earth based nature of, of the Avengers and such, you know, they're always looking to fight and to knock down and to succumb the opponent, but they don't ever really try to kill them. <laughs> and in this one, it's the exact opposite. Like there's no hesitation at all. Uh, and I find that quite interesting because this is the funniest stuff we have. And so it's, it's a, it's kind of a, a weird marriage. You know, you would think that the the movie that's going to have the the characters that are just willy nilly kill everybody wouldn't be the funny one. It would be more dark. But instead, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's presented yeah, I, that way.
1: Watching Guardians reminds me of me playing video games when I was younger, how I would know what the object of the game was, and I would just break the rules. So if I was on a co-op game, mm. I would shoot my teammates because you, know, you weren't supposed to, because it was unconventional, because it was something that you're not supposed to do. And that's really the attitude of the Guardians. They, do, <laughs> they steal things, <laughs> and they, they kill people, and they are snarky. And they're not your typical superheroes and they don't claim to be. And I think that's where we gravitate while we gravitate towards them is because we see that enough and it's nice to have that change of pace.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, speaking of change of pace, why don't we slow down our mixtape just a little bit and talk about the feels Patrick.
1: Cue the sentimental music. Oh
0: Yeah. <laughs> so connecting points um this is that time when we talk about that moment that we connected with the film the most um i mentioned earlier for me it was very close to being the football scene in fact i remember when watching the football scene and i say football i don't know that it ever actually quite got to orb 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 catch um, orb catching uh orb catch with dad (laughs) uh, <laughs> so beautiful, so beautiful. It was, and honestly, I was when I was watching the film. I thought to myself, "That's my connecting point," because you know I'm watching it with the feel and film mentality, always thinking about that. And then when uh, ego ends up not being what we thought ego was, I said, "Nope, never mind. <laughs> it's no longer my connecting point because it doesn't ma It's not it doesn't have the same weight to it. Um, because <laughs> it, you know what I mean." Yeah, I do. And so I think if... You don't deserve
1: my connecting point, Ego.
0: (laughs) Exactly. If he would have been a good dad and it would have carried forth that way, (laughs) I probably would have left it there, but I had to change it. So um, again, I said earlier, so many just interesting little moments of connection that I thought were great in this one that could have been a connecting point for me. Um, Great scene with Nebula and Gamora when Nebula rescues her. Um, and also when Gamora rescues Nebula, but it's, it's more so a big deal when Nebula rescues Gamora, because that's the action that we don't expect. Um, those kind of things, Yondo and Rocket, um, their conversation was again, almost there for me. Um, it was right, right there in the running, the one where he says, I do understand you because I am you. And they, he talks to Rocket and, and discusses with him why he's got the attitude and, and why he acts the way he does. And I just, I love that so much. The one that I chose though, was just simple. To be honest, Patrick, it was a moment that I, I fist pumped inside, maybe even externally. I'd have to ask Ryan, my movie going buddy, who was at the movie with me. Um, but when they're coming down from the spaceship, uh, after Yondu has kind of saved them, and and made his big move to I think he blew up the ship is what he did (laughs) um they're floating down and Quill has has kind of just in this moment Quill acknowledges that Yondu is worthy of his affection as in a fatherly manner and he's never really done that and Quill says you're like Mary Poppins and Yondu goes was he cool (laughs) And Quill Quill says, dang Righty was cool. And Yondo just looks down at everybody and says, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. And the way that that comes out of his just gruff, country-fied voice, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Like, he has so much joy saying that. He is so full of pride because the kid that he has always thought of as his own son that he raised despite the nature of their relationship has just shown him affection. And it, he, he is beaming with pride because of that. And that's what this scene shows us. And it does it in a, in obviously a hilarious way. And so for me, that was it because that ties into, I believe the end of the film really well with how, what ends up happening. And, and, it, and it, it gives out, it gives that ending of the film more weight for me. Because I know now how feel how how Quill feels very distinctly. Yeah. So yeah. That's, anyway, that's, that's
1: my. I laughed out loud at that moment. <laughs> and Michael Rooker is just. I love the things that he's in. He's is not, that Yondu. Yeah, that's yeah, he's fantastic. NBA. He's great. I, I remember him in um in just several movies. I think he was in the uh, first time I saw him was in Days of Thunder. He played opposite Tom Cruise and. Ooh, I need um, to
0: rewatch that then.
1: Yeah, it's Roddy Burns.
0: I didn't realize yeah. that.
1: Yeah, dude. Check it out. He had he had hair and he didn't have a fin. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he drove a Chevy Lumina and not a spaceship. So just a few small differences there. But for the most part, it's Yondu. Um He also wasn't blue. <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was so surprised at my connecting point because I was so surprised that, that Yandu's character grew on me the way he did. Like you mentioned earlier, in the first film, he feels like kind of like a throwaway character, like a foil, like... Uh the butt of a joke, you know the the reason that he's in there is to just make you laugh, but then we get these moments with him with with rocket, and then that moment with uh with with Peter when he says that about being Mary Poppins, how proud he is, and then so the scene I'm gonna bring up is prefaced by the scene before it uh which is about as vague as you can get. <laughs> He sacrifices himself for for Peter takes him up and puts the spacesuit on him and you see him just end up dying uh very peacefully uh as a matter of fact it feel, doesn't feel very didn't feel like hes seemed like he's suffering but for me I love the the funeral I loved his funeral because what we see in that is an earned <laughs> uh, celebration Mm -hmm. of someone's life. I don't mean just earned as in like from a storytelling point of view, like he, you know, it was earned for him, but because we get his character developed throughout the film, uh, as someone who, like you said, desires to be a dad who regrets decisions that he made about his life. Someone who wanted a family, uh, when Groot (laughs) in his own, you know, verbal way, welcomed him to the guardians. Um, that felt very much like he earned a spot there. It didn't feel like it was just thrown in. And then at the funeral, I really loved his sidekick Craglin's reaction. How just elated, excited! I mean, I've 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 felt the emotion that he had, that he expressed. Uh, Sean Gunn is a is a hilarious actor. He was on Gilmore Girls for, you know most of this you know, most of the series, and I fully admit that I I watched the series and loved it. Um but when you see him just you know how devoted he is to Yandu and you see him just you know go and then do the with the three chest pump thing that he does. Um I I really just love that Yandu got this redemption that he wanted. Uh that this whole armada of ships came and started just basically giving him the farewell that they thought he deserved i thought it was just so beautiful man and i i didn't expect that i didn't know what the ending was gonna be but i didn't expect it to kind of be centered on on him and i felt like man here's a guy that i wish i'd spent more time with (laughs) i kind of want to go back to the first one and see his character and kind of put those two together to kind of get a complete picture and a complete uh, story of him. So yeah, Yandu's funeral, I think said a lot about relationships. I think it summed up a lot of what it means to be a family and what it means to celebrate the life of someone even after they die. I thought visually it was just a beautiful scene with the, I guess I'm going to call them fireworks, even though they weren't really fireworks. But even the way that his body was, was burned, how it just let out this really cool space debris kind of sparkly thing and left a trail and all these ships were kind of hovering around it. It was just really, really cool. And I loved it.
0: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And uh, so I was trying to hold back when I was talking about mine, cause I, I knew what your, your point was, um, but they tied together so perfectly. Um, the mind leads into that and, and it informs part of why that funeral is so important to Quill. Um, uh, in that moment, but yeah, I love the, the cragling connection. You know, I'd forgot that he was even in the first one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. He just, he didn't even, he wasn't even memorable to me, but I like that. I think that's a great idea to go back and see how his character was there. Um, but I, I, I yeah, it's such a good, you mentioned, you know, he's being rewarded for his faith in Yondu. He, he, the whole film, he's one of the only ones that's willing to believe in Yondu and stick by his side through the trouble, through the mutiny. And, uh, he's rewarded for that. And that's just a beautiful picture. Um, when it comes to the redemption of, of that character too. So yeah, love it, man. Good, good stuff. Well, um, that I think is, is all we've got for our guardians coverage, uh, guardians of the galaxy volume two. We're just going to put on the smooth grooves now and just play you (laughs) on out. No. Um, although that wouldn't be terrible. So, Patrick, what do we have coming down the pipe in the future? I'm
1: very, very excited because we had to reschedule and reshuffle some of our episodes. You guys are basically going to get essentially a double feature over the course of two or three days. So we're dropping this episode, I believe it's on a Saturday, Friday night, Saturday. Is that correct?
0: Yep. This will be out on a Friday night.
1: Yeah. So special drop for you guys opening night. Uh, podcast episode for Guardians volume two and then three days later come on back because we are releasing our episode on Guardians Top of the
0: Galaxy volume three
1: volume three you haven't seen it nobody's seen it only we've seen it we got the early <laughs> early 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 screener edition because feel and film is an awesome podcast and you know we deserve it no <laughs> not really <laughs> no on Monday our we're back to our regularly scheduled programming with Top Gun And we have a very special guest, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Josh Larson from the Film Spotting Podcast uh, is going to join us for uh, what I hope to be an amazing discussion on one of our favorite films, Top Gun. So come on back and and take a listen. Uh, In the meantime, you can uh, visit us on the web at feelingfilm.com. check out any past episodes. If you just can't wait between Guardians and Top Gun, if you want to hear more of these uh, amazing discussions and uh, hear the sultry voices that are Aaron and Patch and other guests that we have on. You can download episodes from there. You can also check in with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash feel and film and get to our group and join the discussion there. For me, if you want to continue discussions on this or other movies, you can find me at the big three, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Shoeless patch S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H, I'm also at thisispatch.com. You can find out more about what makes me tick. So how about you, Aaron?
0: Good stuff. I am super pumped for that Top Gun episode with Josh. Um, Been wanting to talk to him for a long time, and it's really exciting to get to have him on. Um, and, And especially to cover a movie that is not necessarily in the film spotting purview of uh coverage film spotting they're a little bit more refined than us typically <laughs> and so uh you know what's they don't not s- refined about top gun no. listen listen <laughs> come back listeners and you'll find out what's not exactly refined <laughs> about top gun that being said it's nice to be able to have him on and see what his take on kind of a you know middling as far as critically reclaimed blockbuster is and and see what he thinks so it's it's going to be good stuff um like Patrick mentioned, the Facebook group. I just want to quickly agree with him and plug that again. Um, that's where a lot of discussion for Guardians came out of. It was awesome this week. This week was fantastic because uh, people were just talking and having conversation and, and debating, going going over different plot points um, as soon as the film came out. And it's really a picture of what the kind of community that we're trying to build uh, it looks like, and what. That community, you know, is bred out of Patrick and I just loving to do it ourselves and talk to each other that way, and just you know bring other people into that conversation. So, if you have a Facebook account, look it up, Feel and Film uh, Podcast, the group, uh, join it. It's easy to do. Uh, come, you know, come have conversations with us. If you want to talk to me specifically, you can find me all over the web at Aaron L. White. A A R O N E L W H I T E twitter facebook etc 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 until next time stay positive i am